Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the Frog Snacks podcast. Uh, it's episode 12. I'm here with uh, Frog, as always. Um, so we, uh, we decided that uh, we have sort of become these, like, uh, weird industry talking head people um, and just have all of this breadth of information. And as interesting and knowledgeable as we are, I, I think it'd be oh so knowledgeable. We thought it would be fun to uh, give give you guys a little bit of our backgrounds. Talk about games that we do play. We do play video games. We don't just talk about them. Um, unlike so, half the internet. Unlike <laughs> ooh, shots fired. Shots fired. Shots fired. All those people in those forums. They don't. They've never even played those games. They just know what side they're supposed to take. Pretty much fanboy flame wars. Ooh. Anyway. Before this gets a little too rough, we'll get <laughs> gauntlet we'll, thrown down. Yeah, before we just start throwing down on everybody, I know we, we already uh, lost some popularity points with last week's episode. We'll, yeah. um, we'll try and keep it G for the first half hour of this of this pod. But um, but anyway, I uh, I, I think everybody's uh, story as to how they got into games is um, is always very unique and always very interesting. Um, Frog and I definitely, uh, did not have similar backgrounds in, uh, in the gaming universe and in our own personal universes. Um, by the time we met, fortunately we were both very much into games, but, uh, I think, um, I think they're fun stories to share. So I'll, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be brief. We'll talk about how we, uh, how we got to where we are and what we like to see in games, what we're playing right now. Uh, frog gave me an interesting, uh, he, he has a theory and I always thought it was interesting, uh, about a, uh, a gaming rotation, which is, uh, the first time I had heard that word uttered in reference to all of the games that you are currently playing. Uh, and I had only heard of, uh, the game that I'm playing right now currently or, uh, the backlog. And I won't talk about my backlog because we'll be here all night. Oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> the pile of shame, it is also called. Yeah. The pile of shame, which, which is a term I can absolutely get behind. That's like an internet term. I can, I can definitely, uh, you know, that resonates with me. Definitely. Right, 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 right. I've become better. I've become better at not making purchases unless I know that I'm going to dive headfirst into it within the next couple of days. But uh, for a while, it was pretty out of hand. And uh, yeah, my my pile of shame is definitely shameful. Oh, I'm horrific. But yeah. you're, as, you're worse as than some I am. of our friends like to take me to task for. Though, in my defense, I will say this: in sheer economic terms. Mm. Uh, if I say this, you know, if I make this, screw it, I'm just going to buy it regardless of whether or not I'm going to ever have time to play it. I tried. That's going to be a cheap game. Oh, yeah. Like, you're not going to. There are people who are like, oh, yeah, I went out and spent $60 in this game. It's in shrink, shrink wrap. No, B. Like, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, uh, it's, it's hard with all the sales that are always happening. And, uh, my God. And we'll, we'll get into that later, um, about digital marketplaces because, uh, that's, um, that's something that we're going to bring up in the second half of the pod. Um, specifically, uh, good old games, uh, new marketplace that just went into beta. Uh, I, I did sign up for it, but I didn't get an email back. I'm going to try and reapply. But anyway, as far as, uh, as far as my story is concerned, I, I've been playing games my entire life. Uh, I often my my like point of uh, 
my like point of pride is my first console ever is a console that a lot of people have to look up because nobody <laughs> nobody knows what it is. Uh, I got my first console when I was three, and it was uh, called the Sega Pico. And if you don't know what a Sega Pico is, spelled P-I-C-O, it was a like an early childhood uh, console that was built like an old – it sort of looked like an old iMac uh, computer, like desktop computer, the one that came in all the different colors. But it was like – Oh, yeah, the original iMacs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like the old Mac desktop and – but it was a Sega system and it was made for like really, really small kids. And, uh, it had Echo the Dolphin and all the like, you know, late eighties, early nineties, um, Sega games on it, like Sega exclusive games on it. Like, uh, you know, it had Echo the Dolphin and it had like, um, it had the, the, I remember the only two games that I can remember that I had were Echo the Dolphin, uh, Richard Scary. Remember the Richard Scary books? Oh, I love the Richard Scary books. Richard Scary did a, like third party title for the Sega Pico. And I had it when I was like three. Um, and then, uh, when I was five, I got the original PlayStation and, uh, it just sort of snowballed from there. Sheesh. You had um, the PlayStation when you were five? It came out in 1995. So I had just turned six when it came out and I got it on launch. Jeez. Yep. I had the original, um, I had the original controller, the one without the analog sticks. Um, right. And then a year later, they added the analog sticks, and with it, they added a whole bunch of games where you needed the analog stick to play. Most notably, Ape Escape, the first Ape Escape. And I remember, <laughs> and I remember renting Ape Escape. I must have been six. I'm renting Ape Escape at the uh, video store right down the street. <clears throat> And not being able to play it and being like genuinely upset at this, <laughs> at this, at this horrible thing, this horrible turn my life had taken. Um, so I can I had, imagine like young you just going into like a fit of despair. Oh my god, it was so sad. And uh, I, I think I eventually got the analog stick controller. I had asked for it for a birthday or for Christmas or something. Um, I I had I've gone through my fair share of consoles and handhelds and. Uh, I won't bore you with the details, but, um, I got into PC gaming a little bit in, uh, in high school, but I never had a really powerful system. And then as games progressed and my system got older, I, I went back to console games and then, uh, I got to college and most people I knew sort of stopped playing games around that time. But the friends that I made in college, uh, we're gross. We're, yeah, we're like way more disgusting than any of my friends in high school when it came to gaming. Uh, I, I remember the first, um, the first time I, I realized that I could just sort of let loose and play as many games as I wanted to was I think in the same week, um, I had noticed a bunch of people playing WoW in their room with the doors open together though, like on their laptop and across the hall or down the hall was our good friend Kevin's room who had put a, uh, sign on his door basically saying that, uh, street fighter third strike is played here. Um, like enter at your own risk type thing. And, <laughs> I remember and, actually, uh, I think our other friend had at one point put slayer of gods on his door. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's crazy. And, uh, I, uh, so I was like, I'm, I'm home. This is great. <laughs> uh, I, 
I started, I, I had already, I was already playing WoW, but then I got really into it. I, I completely re-rolled on new server and everything because I didn't have anybody to play with until I got to college. And then I was really into fighting games, but I didn't really have any friends that liked fighting games. And then I got to college and that, you know, became a thing. I, I sort of got more involved with the FGC and uh, I got really into Street Fighter. I sort of abandoned Tekken for Street Fighter because uh, in high school I was big into Tekken. Everybody was big into Tekken around that time. Yeah, but... My friends were, although big gamers, were all um, like single player PC type gamers, like, right. uh, you know, bi- like really into uh, like the Civilization series and like RTSs and stuff. And then, um, or like shooters, like console shooters. So that was, that was my, uh, as far as like a community aspect, that's, that's what I was dealing with in high school. And then I got to college and then the doors just it blew open and I got into everything. And, um, but Tekken, I mean, I would, I would beg my friends to play Tekken with me. They would get bodied and then be like, I don't want to play this anymore. Let's play Halo. And I would <laughs> sigh and say, fine. But I, I, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't get fully engrossed into the FGC until I got to college. And there was, you know, it was great because people didn't mind losing and I never minded losing. I never had All anybody right. to lose to until I got to college. And then I lost all of the time and but I loved it because that's and that's something that I think is pretty specific within the fighting game community is is uh you know losing and we could probably have a whole other episode about the FGC which we plan on doing oh we will be um but but it's it's something that I think is very unique and I didn't have that until I got to college people who who sort of uh appreciated losing for what it was and even though they got salty sometimes they 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 knew what the purpose of it was and uh so I I I got into that and then um, it got bigger and bigger and my love for video games got bigger and bigger and I started reading more about it and I started going to PAX and I just, um, like I said, it it snowballed and uh, I just recently uh, built another uh, PC, my my first uh, built it myself gaming PC. Serious business PC. Yeah, serious business PC. I'm looking at it right now. It is beautiful. I love it very much. And yeah, and then um, and yeah, that's it. I uh, and here and here we are, 2015, 20 years after the release of the original PlayStation is this year, and uh, and here I am, and I'm still standing, and uh, one would say I'm actually doing really well. So uh, yeah, still playing, still playing, and um, yeah, Frog, why, never stop Frog playing. why don't you give us uh, a little bit of background on, on your uh, gaming universe experience? Yeah, 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 and obviously a, a nice portion that I share with you, but uh, as you mentioned, it is way different because when I was a kid, being more of, you know, like a kind of typical bookish kind of kid, uh, I didn't really play much. My brother had, you know, an NES in the house. He had a Super NES in the house, but uh, his NES was on last legs. Actually, it still works, but it still like works really crappily. Well, everyone so does. Everyone still works asterisk kind of exa- shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Asterisk. So, I mean, it's it's even still around now. He took it to his house now. Uh, he was in North Carolina, but he took that to his house now, all that stuff. But uh, he would play on it very – by the time I was around and starting to become a little bigger, he'd already kind of like tapered off. But for some reason, I was – and he still makes fun of me to this day for this – is that when I was a kid, something about the games he was playing t- 
terrified me to no end. Like, I had to leave the room. And if I didn't leave the room, it would be horrible. So I know he liked playing Mortal Kombat back in the day, so that might have had something to do with it. But the thing that really killed me, believe it or not, was Mario Kart. He liked to play Mario Kart 1, and he was amazing at Mario Kart 1. That was his game. But for some reason, that game terrified me. I don't know if it was the art style or the music or something, but if he put that game on, I had to be like, "Eh, I'm out of (laughs) here. So I had that irrational fear, and I, I wouldn't even touch a controller for years following that until... What is this now? We're going to say like 2000, something like that. So I'm already, what, 12? And um, I started, you know, hanging out with like some of my neighborhood friends, the people I kind of went to school with and, you know, met around here. And uh, one of my friends had an N64. And so I started seeing games like Mario 64 and uh, everybody's favorite game, Mario Kart 64. And so seeing all that stuff was wild to me, you know? Yeah. It was, uh, when I saw that, I was like, whoa, this is really cool. So over time, <laughs> it was like, it was like using a stick and trying to prod, uh, prod like a lion. <laughs> yeah. Like, can I get away with this? Can I, but the, the lion in this case is like, just come over here. And, and the lion gave me a controller and we played Mario Kart. So, so over time, I started to get very acclimated and, you know, I really started to like it. And then finally, um, our good friend Big Zeke from last week, you know, who lives around the corner for me. Uh, he, when I started going to his house and playing games, he got the GameCube. His family had the GameCube shortly after it came out. And I started playing Smash Brothers Melee. And man, that was it. Yeah. Like once I once I got a taste of that game, I was hooked. I was a coke addict. I had to, I immediately was hounding my mom to get me a GameCube, which we did the next year. And from there, it was it was is it, it was over. <laughs> like it was completely over. I had when did I first get the GameCube? With I think I first got the GameCube with Mario Sunshine, Sonic Adventure Two Battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Some legit stuff here. Animal Crossing. Um, what else was... Uh, Melee, of course. I feel like there was four games I got. Oh, yeah, and Super Monkey Ball 2. Ooh. Ooh. I've said this before on the pod, but uh, Frog obviously has more games for the GameCube now, but his, his GameCube collection is the most impressive that I've ever seen in person. He's Which got I, all the best ones. All the best ones. Not all. And not all, but You've most got of them. Enough of the best ones for it to be the most impressive collection I've seen in person. <laughs> well, thank you, but uh, yeah, I do have a pretty. I've built that library up. Most of that library I've had since two thousand four or five. Would you uh, say that the GameCube is your favorite system of all time? My favorite system, yes, yes. unquestionably. Okay, because that was that was my first system. Uh, and you know, again, we talk so much about nostalgia, but I really feel like putting nostalgia aside that ga- that system had some truly oh. amazing games on it. Oh, it's fantastic. You can't, you can't argue against the GameCube, like whatever, whatever, uh, you have to fish for 
reasons to be upset with the GameCube. Yeah, I mean, in 2015, there were plenty of reasons to be upset about it in 2004. But hmm. uh, against, you know, the PS2 and Xbox when online play is becoming a thing and Nintendo's like, what's that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> to a certain degree, they still are, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to but, a certain uh, degree. <laughs> but uh, they, they truly amazing stuff. You know, like, when I got F-Zero GX, that was, like in the, I think, like the third wave of... Mm-hmm. games that because i like when i bought games back then in particular i only had money at certain points of the year so i was like a hawk trying to decide what is going to be the best bang for the buck you know i was one of those people looking for the hour counts on games and whatever whatever yeah so i would go and buy like five to six games at a time and you know hope to get the biggest bang for my buck that's why i had such a great library from the beginning yeah, all so of those things were thoroughly researched before they were purchased. That's so interesting. I uh, the video rental store that I was telling you about that lived that was, I mean it was it was walking distance from where I lived, and in the PS One era, I didn't really even start buying games until the PS Two era. So right. I have a pretty good PS Two library, but I have I have almost no PlayStation One games because I would. Rent, you just rented all of them. I would rent a game because they would. It was so cheap. I think it was three dollars for a weekend. And right. My parents, when I was that age, didn't really want me playing games during the week anyway. I did, right. but like, you know, on the weekend they would let me play as much as I wanted. So I would, I would walk, I would walk there Friday night, rent a game, three bucks for the entire weekend. I could always manage to scrape together three three dollars, and then I right. and then I would just glue myself to the television and see if I could beat the game in the weekend. And if I couldn't. I would just run it again next weekend and I could beat the whole game for usually less than half of what the full retail price was going for. And you know, my, I would ask for games for Christmas and stuff, but I would get like, I would only get like three games a year, buy three games a year. And right. you know, I was too young to buy them myself. So, you know, it was, it was great. I would, I would, I was able to beat games. I mean, this is early, early on. This is before age 10, right? I was, I was able to beat games for usually like 10 or like nine or 12, not between nine and $12 over the course of like a month. And I did that. I did that all the time. And my, my parents were like, I, I don't know what my parents must've thought because they would never, they would see me playing all these different games and they never gave me any money. <laughs> and they were, I mean, did they think I was stealing? I don't know. <laughs> our son is dealing drugs. We'll just have to uh, make up. Our eight year old is, is selling drugs for video games. <laughs> but at least he's not on the street all the time. So we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so we, I mean, we had a blockbuster in our town, but, yeah. uh, again, I wasn't really up on all those things. And, and since I started when I was a teenager anyway, you know, I was working. I had some money to my to myself. Yeah. So I would just basically try to maximize that. But I was teenagers. So then, of course, you know, I went to college, and now uh, for, uh, snacks and I are a year apart. So I was there a year before him, and uh, when I got there, you know, and we met uh, yet again our infamous friend Kevin, and uh, he was he invited me to play Street Fighter with him, and this this is. <laughs> I always recount this story amongst the group of us because this really is uh, the beginning of my trip down the rabbit hole. Because he he said, hey, do you want to play? And I said, oh, I've never played Street Fighter. 
And after he was done giving me this what look, <laughs> then uh, he was like, oh, well, I'll show you. And thus began a years long journey through the wild world of fighting games mm-hmm. and uh, and every other genre in between. Because, as you know, when you came in the next year, we'd already established our group of, you know, crazy nerds and we were just continuing to burrow down into the rabbit hole and it only just got wilder and wilder as time went on. Yeah. I mean, I certainly wasn't a casual video game player or even like a mild enthusiast in high school, but I don't, but I, I didn't have the, um, like tools maybe to play as much as I wanted or to envelop myself in the community as much as I could until college. Um, And I think that's an interesting point because what I was going to say is that uh, when we all started playing together, I think that one of the, that was really like the biggest evolution as a player I ever had, because that was when I realized in particular what real skill in most of these games actually looks like. I, I, I totally agree because I, I I was thinking about this this whole week. I was we were you know, like you know we're probably going to do this topic today. We're probably going to share these stories. Like how how small was my video game world up until college? And it was although I would consider myself a lifelong enthusiast, it was very small. And I always think of this time where it must have been oh it must have been two thousand and. Or 2005, we were in high school, me and my group of friends, and we're, uh, we're like walking around the mall, and there was like an EB Games, and they had Melee set up in in one of their like, you know, demo booths or whatever. Right. And uh, we would go, we would go there. There was also like a big FYE arcade, which was a lot of fun, but they had this EB Games right across from that with, with uh, Melee set up, and you know, I would always, we would always go and like, you know, screw around and like if Melee was up, we would play it. I remember one time we, we went there and mind you, I'm not, I'm not involved in the FGC at all. I just know that I like fighting games and me and my friends sort of, sort of skipped Melee. We played it casually, but we were really into uh, the original Smash for, um, for most of my high school career. Right. Um, why that is the case, I have no idea. But we we got really, really into the original Smash. And when Melee came out, I, I think we just didn't give it the time of day, unfortunately. Um, I did once I got to high school. But, I mean, once I got to college. But in high school, it was all about N64. But anyway, we, we so I'm, we're not really involved in the community outside of our own group of friends. And I remember this one time where we go and they have Melee set up at the demo booth in the CB Games in like 2004, 2005. And... There was like three kids who looked just like us playing melee, right? They're like the same. They're like the same as us, but they're different, right? They're just like, right. it's like this weird, bizarro versions of us, and they're playing melee. And they like look at us, and they're like, they must have thought the same exact thing. And they looked at us, and they were like, "Oh, you guys play Smash?" And we were like, "And we were like, yeah, we play Smash." And they were like, "Okay, you three versus us three, like." Crew battle, and we had a crew battle like right in the middle of the mall, and we and we got our asses whooped. Whooped. We got clapped. We got boom boom clapped by these kids, and 
these were like these were like city kids, right? They were like they were like tough, you know. They were like, but they were in the CB games, like schooling kids in Smash. And I and I remember thinking like, man, we're not the only people who play Super Smash Brothers, are we? And then like, I I remember thinking that that we were somehow the only people on earth that played Super Smash Bros. And then we saw that and my whole world got like shattered. I don't know. And then I got to college and obviously like everybody on this like 25,000 person campus played Super Smash Brothers. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. But my, my, my gaming universe in terms of, in terms of community, a community and industry and, you know, social aspects uh, expanded uh, infinitesimally upon arriving at a university. Yeah, it, seriously, because uh, the the group of us, and it was a fairly large group of us, if we're just talking about who was in college, because we had you know almost like half of that entire building was oh going God. in on some game or the other hardcore. Yeah, and this, and um, of course, this is the peak of World of Warcrafts. Uh, dominance and influence when uh-huh. it was new, so it was just, everybody on campus was playing WoW. Because remember, for those of you out there listening, when I was at school, I worked I worked for the school, and I would be out there. I was with their safety program, so we would be out there patrolling. And so when you when you do that, you get to see all campus, see what kind of everybody's little sphere of influence is going on with. And I can tell you for sure, like at the height of WoW's popularity, that thing was everywhere. Like any window you pass by of any dorm. That thing. You talk about it like it's an actual narcotic. (laughs) (laughs) That's because it is an actual narcotic. I I will make sure that when we have, because I'm thinking of one potential guest we might have who will definitely have at least one or two killer World of Warcraft stories. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I have some. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about MMOs one day, certainly, too. But Yeah. Yeah, but we were on a very gamer-friendly campus is the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. So that Absolutely. made it... Absolutely. Yeah, that made it um, very, very fun for us to, you know, kind of explore the rabbit hole together. You know, and personally, I had been following the industry in depth Again, like I told you, I researched heavily to purchase all those games I did. So in the process, I happened to find out quite a lot about how things were going down. Nothing like now, of course, but, you know, you find out a lot in that process. But, yeah, going to school made me such a better player. And I think that was the big thing for college where you really find out, as you said, oh, wait, I'm not the only one in the world that plays these games. <laughs> yeah, and And in fact, there are people who are... Un, unrealistically good at these games. Yeah. And I remember when uh, uh, Super Smash Brothers Brawl came out my freshman year at college, and I remember going back that summer to my hometown and hearing about a Brawl tournament, and the turnout was like uh, beyond the cap of the venue. So wow. they, they had to like if you weren't playing a match, you had to like wait outside. And I remember thinking like, I, I know I was looking around and I was like, I went to high school with all these kids. How did I not know that they played smash brother? Like what, what happened? Did everybody go to college and just come back and be like, Oh, that's right. It's 
cool to like games or, or did everybody just not be quiet about it? And I, I'll never know. But well, that was like, that was like, a, um, that was like a moment where I had to, or I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had no explanation for it. I'll, I'll offer one because in high school, I mean, this kind of goes back to one of the things we discussed in our first podcast, you know, or second actually, um, talking about how it's still really not totally socially acceptable to kind of be, you could call it an out gamer. Yeah. Uh, and now you're talking about going back at least what, five, six years now. Oh, this was actually, no, this is like 2008. Summer, so is, we're going back like, yeah, this is summer 2008. So we're going back seven years. Woo! <laughs> Time flies. But so even more, so my point is going to stand even more. So now you're talking about 2008. You really are not really trying to be talking about uh, how how big a gamer you are in public unless it's to select people. Yeah. So I my feeling would be, and particularly even more so in high school where everybody is going to shit on you for some made-up reason anyway. So you might as well not give them ammo, right? Yeah. So I bet you that there probably were a lot of people who were – really digging games like Smash or whatever, but they weren't going to go and sing it from the rooftops and be rocking the t-shirts and this and that because, you know, you're going to open yourself up to be a target. Oh, look at that loser. All he does play games all day. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought I was a pretty open nerd in high school and I was, I was fairly popular. You must have had a very nice high school. <laughs> you know what? I, I did. I, I talk about it all the time. I, I was like friends with, Almost everybody. Um, I mean, they definitely, everyone there definitely thought me and my friends were weird, but they liked us and they were nice <laughs> to us, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, my high school experience was a, was a lot less traumatic than most people's. I had, a, I would say that I fairly, I, I pretty much, I enjoyed high school. I did. But that's besides the point. Rare word spoken, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did. I liked high, I liked high school. I did um, straight up. But um, anyway, so fast forward 2015. Here we are. Here we are. Both um, both uh, inseparable to the medium of video games. Um, and, uh, and I just want to talk about really quick what I'm playing right now. Um, and you can do the same, uh, again, this is, this is the, uh, the rotation, the games that I, I have, uh, on rotation right now. Um, and before I, you start, let me just make one comment, yeah. which is that, uh, the, one of the best parts of being an adult is even though, you know, I'll be honest, not making a ton of money over here, but even so still have enough disposable income to freely purchase games now and especially in a, in a climate where the price of games on average is dropping dramatically yeah this is like amazing yeah yeah where you I mean, have to scrimp and save and try to figure out you know have to be super strategic about what you're gonna buy if you want to save money you can be strategic but you know you don't have to be like oh man i can pick one game for the next six months you know what i mean yeah I, I, it's, it's just so weird what people like us used to do in order to afford to game. And now it's like, if you confront the money for a system, uh, you're, you can coast from there pretty much, pretty much. Um, which is, which is magnificent. But so 
in my current rotation, uh, I guess I would say I'm still working on Pillars of Eternity. I know, uh, I know, I've been talking about it. He's been plugging that giant forever. I've been plugging the shit out of that game. Uh, it's it's just so good. I'm not done with it yet, um, but man. Like, wow, so good. I just like can't even put it into words. It's it's the best. It's the best. It's like everything that I wished like the Diablo series was. Right. Because it's it's really just like Diablo to the third power, I guess. Right. Um, I think. And uh so I'm playing that. Um I'm playing uh, I'm a big fan of, of the, the Wargaming.net games. Uh, I love World of Tanks. I've played the uh, the um, demo or the beta for uh, World of Warships, and once the full game is released, I'm, I'm going to get that as well. But uh, so I'm, I'm always I'm always trying to get a match of World of Tanks in, like before work. Um, I'm playing Majora's Mask uh, for the first time. Actually, it was uh, it was re released for the 3DS uh, in. February, but it was released at the same day as Monster Hunter. And once Monster Hunter went into my 3DS, uh, it never left. <laughs> so I'm just now getting around to Majora's Mask, and um, I gotta say, I gotta say, man, it's uh, it's great. I'm I've played, I would say, more than half of the Zelda games, and right. uh, I know that I'm I'm you know, everybody talks about Ocarina of Time and that's the best one. And, and I, I happen to agree with that. I, I think Ocarina of Time is the best one. And I didn't play it until I was like 16 or 17, uh, which was almost 10 years after it came out, I think. Right. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, wow, this, this really is the best one. And at that point, it was probably the third or fourth one I had played total. Right. Um, since then, I have played a bunch more, some of the older ones, some of the newer ones. And major, I, would, I, I mean, I'm not done with it, but I would put Majora's Mask up there because I think that for a long time, once I, I would say that uh, since Ocarina of Time, once Ocarina of Time came out, um, you know, we, we could spend the rest of the episode talking about Zelda games, and we're not. But I think this is <laughs> this is just my theory. Um, once the 3D era came around for the Zelda games, they were able to do sort of but like more than they wanted to do um and it was also this this time in uh in video game history i think uh like late 90s early 2000s where where uh accessibility started to be a little bit more of a thing right. and uh you know the biggest complaint that i have and what a lot of my friends have because i do have a friend who who's like claim to fame is that he has beaten every zelda game right and right. um nick and um, he hates the old Zelda games because they are beyond inaccessible. They're at the point where you need you need help. Uh, there are there are points where um, they just didn't have enough uh, maybe memory or whatever to like give you enough of the tools that you needed to actually complete the game. So there are points where you need to find something in like an entire forest, but it's only on like one pixel and there's no way to find it in, unless, <laughs> unless, you, unless you go to every square and like hit a until you find it. And I mean, what, like who, no, like that's not okay anymore. And you know, e even in uh, 1998, I think when uh, Ocarina of Time came out, that wasn't okay anymore. So 
you know, it, it was difficult, sure, but it was it was accessible enough where it was still challenging, but people weren't like, but it wasn't wild and crazy. Yeah, People weren't just giving up, you know, because whatever. So, so Ocarina of Time, uh, I thought was the perfect mesh between like it being, uh, it's the perfect Zelda game is what I'm trying to say. And I think that they, uh, since Ocarina of Time, they've like slowly tried to implement, um, I don't want to call them gimmicks because a lot of times they're successful and gimmick implies, uh, you know, something that was a failure, but, but they definitely add elements that, uh, we'll say only last for one installment. And one of the things I love about Majora's Mask is that the, the gimmick, the quote unquote gimmick that they added into the game, which was the, the clock, um, is not, um, I don't like it. But it's not as much of an obstacle as, say, in uh, Phantom Hourglass, where the gimmick was you had to, like, keep chipping away at this one dungeon over the course of the entire game. And you had to, like, you know, you get to, uh, you can only do, like, one floor at a time and you have to unlock something else in another dungeon and then go back to that dungeon to do it again. Like, that was annoying. And I can see, like, getting to a point where in Majora's Mask having to reset the clock has it being annoying. But I love how... Um, I think the music is better in Majora's Mask than it is in Ocarina of Time. I think the, uh, I think it's creepier, but in a better way than Ocarina of Time. Uh, and I love how compact it is. There's only, there's only four dungeons. Uh, oh, is that short? I didn't know it was that short. Well, the thing is, it's not short, but it's compact, if that makes <clears> sense. So like the, the game world. So the is, game world scope is not that big. Right. The, it's not sprawling. It's it's like one central location, which is Clock Town, and then there's a, a like a north dungeon, a south dungeon, an east dungeon, and a west dungeon. And each dungeon has like their own little field that you have to like go across to get to the dungeon and like puzzle you have to get to like unlock the dungeon. And so like getting to the dungeon, doing it, and you know, returning with the item that you need is it's it's all it's a little bit more, you know, we don't like these words, but it's, it's almost, I would, I would argue that it's more linear than Ocarina of Time because Ocarina right. of Time had like the time travel concept, but it was weird. It, they did it like a third of the way through the game and then you only did it like once and then you could do it again later, but it was weird. And I, I loved Ocarina of Time and I think it's the best one, but Majora's Mask is impressing me so far. And, uh, I can honestly say I liked it better than either one of the, uh, original DS titles. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, that's did, you, my, did you ever play um, a Link Between Worlds at all? I, I did. Link Between Worlds was fantastic. It's funny because uh, briefly give you my little Zelda take, and now I'll tell you what, what's going on in my uh, rotation. But mm-hmm. uh, I also love the Zelda series. But um, <laughs> spoiler: I'm really bad at these games because they get to my biggest gaming weakness, which is that. I am horrible with puzzles. I am so bad with puzzles. Like most puzzle games, I don't even touch because I'm, it's just not going to work. So, but Zelda games, I really enjoy playing. And a lot of the time, like I stick to the new ones because as you said, the older ones are really, really difficult. But, you know, they can definitely be where for most people, they might be moderately challenging. For me, they're usually extremely challenging. Sure. So, uh, and it's side note, it's funny you mentioned the first game and, you know, how the series started as kind of this wildly inaccessible, 
you know, pixel perfect game. And funny enough, that very quality is what made it so popular to the point where I'm pretty sure actually even like the people behind Dark Souls were looking more to the original Zelda as kind of a template for where they were trying to go. Yeah, I mean the the way that Dark Souls built the game world makes a lot of sense in terms of like the original Zeldas. But um, I'm sure in 1987 that was like a cool thing to have. But in 19- yeah, but of but course in, in, in 2015, let's stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, so yeah, go ahead. But um, but yeah. So with me in the Zelda games, I mean, uh, I play Ocarina of Time, as you said. I haven't played Majora's Mask. Um, I've been going through Wind Waker here and there. That's an <laughs> see. It's such a tragic story. So like Ocarina of Time, check it out. So I started that game. Something like, I want to say like 2007. Mm-hmm. Maybe, no, 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 earlier than that. What am I talking about? I think it was actually like 2004, 2005. Because I had that, another gem in my collection of GameCube games is the collector's edition Zelda's disc that has uh, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, uh, the original Zelda, Zelda 2, and a demo for Wind Waker. See what I mean? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I got I got some heat in my collection. <laughs> so I, I had that, and I played through Ocarina of Time on there, but I got stuck and kind of abandoned it for a long time, long time being until sometime midway through college <laughs> when I finally finished the game, and yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, I still have yet to play Majora's Mask, but I, it's always been on my radar. And it was actually a similar scenario with Wind Waker. Like, Wind Waker, I'd started... I want to say, again, like 2005-ish. But I got... I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what to do. I was so lost and so frustrated that I gave up. And uh, I didn't pick up the game again until the re-release for Wii U came out. And being a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I was much better able to kind of figure out where to go. So I'm not nearly as stuck as I was the first time. But I can't pat myself on the back because I brought up a link between worlds because uh, I have that game and, you know, I played it for about three hours and I have absolutely no clue what to do now. Oh, my God. So (laughs) that game also went on the shelf for a long time. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Uh, And Skyward Sword, which I also I enjoy Skyward Sword a lot. There's there's a lot of problems with that game. We can get into that another time. But that game is really enjoyable. But. I don't even need to say the next statement. So being the Zelda franchise are, have a very troubled history. Uh, but that's not the best besides point. Point being, 2015, what's in the frog rotation? What is it? What is it? So, of course, right now, the elephant in the room is Monster Hunter. Yeah, which is also in my rotation. I don't even feel like I need to bring it up anymore at this point. It's just, it's not a part of my gaming rotation. It's a part of my life. So... <laughs> Ah, it really is because we have, uh, for those of you listening, uh, Snacks and I have our, our group of, of hunters, a couple of whom are very hardcore. And, uh, you know, we've been, we've been going in on Monster Hunter pretty, pretty much since the game came out. And it's been, it's been wild. That game, I had no idea what I was in for when I picked up that game. Oh, me, me neither. I don't think the, I think only... Kevin Only Kevin knew. knew, but I I don't know if he was really into it before this one. I think he was just like, oh, uh, 
he wanted to play it. Yeah, he was he was interested in it, and he was like, "We should all get it." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I read about it," and I was like, "This sounds like I'd be into it." And uh, yeah, yet, yet another infamous opening statement. Let's all get Monster Hunter. Yes. <laughs> Famous last words. Famous last words. Yeah. So now that game's an ingrained part of all of our schedules. Where you, those of you listening, which really should see, like the back and forth, you know, group chat all day long. Well, when are we going to play? Well, I have this to do. Like all of our lives are now scheduled around, around Monster Hunter. Yeah. Like, we have to admit it. So. <laughs> But for good reason, because Monster Hunter is crazy. Oh, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. People are people are already trying to say, like, best game of 2015, which at this point, I would I would back that. Um, I, I I mean, it's early still. There's, yeah, there's going to be some contenders, point. but that game is definitely going to be up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, for good reason. It, it's a very inscrutable game when you're first starting out, even though they did try a lot to... Make it much more beginner friendly. Oh, than you tr- are, are you kidding? You want to tr- you want to talk about inaccessibility? Start with Monster Hunter Four Ultimate in 2015. It is one of the more inaccessible titles, new titles. I, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's not ultimately inaccessible. Meaning the game is not broken. It right. just doesn't. Hold your hand. It just, and that's, yeah, and it, that's you what, have to figure things out yourself, right? And that's what inaccessibility has come to in 2015. It's it's different than back when games just like couldn't do it. You know, like right? Yeah, like the game's not broken. You you have to uh, do. You have to make a, a diligent effort to learn the game, and then once you do, it's like second nature. But it still requires. A lot more reading, a lot more number crunching, a lot more YouTube watching than your average video game. Yeah, and and, and this is definitely a game where I'd say to people it would not be worth – though the single player is really fun, I would not recommend it if you did not have what we have, a dedicated group of people who are ready to go in on the game oh, as much as you are. Absolutely. If you're going to go in there blind, if you, uh, yeah, you're you're going to have you're going to have trouble, especially if you want to play with other people online, because the communication is super important. But uh, as we talked about last week, uh, the chat function is uh, it's not there. So yeah, which is not really. Ca- I mean, Capcom actually, I think, did a pretty admirable job of putting in you know gestures and all these different things, considering that one, you're talking about a handheld game. Let's be honest. At the end of the day. There's only so much you're going to be able to do, and it's on a Nintendo platform, which again is not already is already not giving you the most robust communication options. You know, I can it would be a little bit better on the Vita only because there's built-in party chat. Yeah, but outside of that, you know. Yeah, but the install base is too small, and Capcom and Nintendo are sort of like, um, you know. Biffles now. Yeah, Biffles. I was going to say, well, I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to use that ter- I was going to use a more uh, R-rated term, but... <laughs> well, I went with Biffle. Yeah, we'll um, go with Biffle. We'll go with Biffle. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're they're, and it makes sense. That relationship for them makes sense. Because remember, that Monster Hunter was... It was starting to pick up traction on the PSP. Yeah. Because there were a couple games released on the PSP, but... Of course, again, the PSP was never that big a hit over here. So finally, Capcom was like, all right, so we're going to take a different tactic. And, you know, 
and they already had Monster Hunter 3 was on the 3DS, which didn't set the world on fire. But I think the combination of right time and, you know, being a prominent part of the new 3DS launch, I think that really, and online play apparently, yeah, uh, all added up to being a really, really good launch for Capcom. And I'm happy to see them do it, you know, not only because the game is so great, but because they've been trying to get it popular in the West for years. Mm-hmm. So to finally sit and make it happen is is very nice, a nice success story. Sadly, one of the few modern success stories for Japanese gaming, but that's another story. Uh, but yeah, so Monster Hunter is a part of our lives. But outside of that, the thing that occupies a lot of my mind share is Persona 4. Now, you know, for, uh, Snacks and I love our RPGs, particularly of the Japanese variety. And what Persona 4 makes abundantly clear is that the team at Atlas has firmly and completely snatched the crown king of new york let me stop has has snatched the rpg crown from square enix firmly Mm. like good night because what they've done is they've combined rock solid you know dungeon crawling straight up rpg old school mechanics and they've combined it with great storyline uh, and innovative character-building features, which then link back to the crazy dungeon crawling, and then layer it all over with an amazing soundtrack. Shout-out to Shoji Maguro. That man, oh my god. The soundtrack in Persona 4, and in Persona 3 for that matter, uh, much of it would not be out of place at a nightclub. Mm. And it all, and I mean, it fits very well because you're talking about a game that takes place primarily in a high school. So it's stuff, the kind of stuff that high schools might be listening to, you know, catchy urban type themes. But they really, that game proves, uh, hang on the music point for a second, is that when you have a game that is rock solid in every other way, and then you have an amazing soundtrack on top of all that, you now have something that's special. Yeah. And Persona 4 is definitely something special. And then all the content that they added for the Vita version, because I'm playing Persona 4 Golden, you know, they added a whole, all sorts of stuff. There's footage from the concerts they did in Japan. Yes, they did concerts in Japan. Uh, there's some lectures it built in that talk about the psychology that was used to you know, uh, help create the universe because essentially a persona in the universe of that game is, is based on the psychology of Carl Jung, which is, and a persona essentially is a, a manifestation of your soul, the real you, not the facade that you would be using in your everyday life. Yeah. And, and that is a concept that they go back to and explore all throughout the series. Yeah. There's, and, and it, that's, um, Sorry to interrupt really quick, but like the like the introduction of like philosophy and psychology into the overall theme of your RPG is like something that's not done enough. I think um, it really isn't. But I the the developers that do it do it like a lot, like like a real lot. My my favorite Japanese style RPG is uh, Xenosaga. Mm-hmm. Um, Xenosaga 
the trilogy uh, for PlayStation 2 is my favorite, and the whole thing is based off of the writings of Nietzsche. Or not the whole thing, but like... It's, it's firmly rooted in the writings of Nietzsche. Yeah, and they reference it constantly, and uh, so like that's that's interesting that Atlas did it with the Persona series as well. Though they didn't do it quite as brazenly as Xenosaga does it, yeah. Because, uh, like I said, this is the underpinnings of the universe. So, as if you were to go now, now knowing that, oh well, the series is you know based on uh, the psychology of Carl Jung. Now, when you go back and review all the things that go on during the course of the game, you're like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because this, 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 and this happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, none of that is ne- is necessary or even – it enhances your experience but hardly necessary to get enjoyment out of it because at the end of the day, you're going there and you're following along a very interesting murder mystery and which with a lot of different – little things layered in um but aside from the amazingness of persona uh i also have been trying to keep going back to in between the hours of monster hunter and then subsequent hours of persona and then hours of mario kart i forgot that yep mario kart 8 <laughs> with the new dlc that came out which is a lot of fun 200 cc is like a blast absolutely fantastic um, yeah and then you know we get we get rounds of smash in when we can yeah, so in between all of that, I've also had my eyes. I'm trying to continue playing the Tomb Raider reboot. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I've been trying to keep that one a little bit under wraps because I'm trying to – I wanted to get through the whole thing before I talked about it. But though it's surprisingly long, which yeah. I don't mind at all because it's absolutely fantastic. Interesting. Um, and the more I play it, the more I realize, like, wow, this is an absolutely amazing action adventure uh i was never interested in the like the ps1 tomb raider games yeah i rented it and you know it didn't catch my attention and i I didn't rent it again and then you were like it was butt so then you put it back i didn't say it was butt i mean i was just not interested i was it um there were i was i was into like 3d platformers a lot in the playstation one era who Um, wasn't but I felt like there were a lot of them, and some of the more cartoony ones sort of held my attention more, probably because I was so much smaller. Right. Um, but I, I loved, you know, I like I loved the Crash Bandicoot series. Like the the first like four installments of Crash Bandicoot were just fantastic. Um, uh, Crash Bandicoot Two, I've played probably the most out of any game ever. I think that's like a fair statement. Um, and then. Uh, uh, Croc. You remember Croc? Woo! Like, <laughs> I loved Croc. And then there were like a bunch that weren't that good. Like Rascal wasn't that good. And then um, 40 Winks wasn't that good. I um, barely remember 40 Winks. Woo! We're yeah. going for the bottom of the barrel. Oh, right? yeah. No, but I'm just saying like <laughs> that, like that, the 3D, the 3D platformer adventure game was like kind of saturated uh, and I just Tomb Raider just never really caught my attention the way that the uh, other ones did, especially the more cartoony ones like Croc and Crash Bandicoot. But then, um, but even you know, even into even into the the next generation, because uh, I love I'm a huge I love Ratchet and Clank. I love right. Ratchet and Clank. And Ratchet and Clank is amazing. Ratchet and Clank is so good, and it was just the same thing. It was like a you know 3D cartoony platformer and you know the more serious ones 
didn't really care. Like if it was going to be a more serious game, it had to be like a different genre for some reason. But like 3D platformer just like made sense to me as the, like the more cartoony it was, the more it made sense to me. That's because uh, that's how they generally are for very good reason because they usually work out best that way. Uh, and this new Tomb Raider actually, interestingly enough, does have some elements of platforming in it. Uh, but it's just it's just a brilliantly executed, you know, uh, overall action adventure. It, it just has the story is pretty well put together. The characterization of Lara Croft is pretty well done. Uh, it gives you a very good survivalist feel. I would say playing this game, actually, I'm going to dare to say this comment. Playing this game reminds me a lot of playing Metal Gear Solid 3 in a very good way. Ooh. Because a lot of a lot of that same survivalist feel is still there. And I think it's a, a great way to bring that character and that franchise into the modern world. Because I was never interested in the original games because I was just watching them. I was like, this looks so janky and weird looking and then yeah. her unrealistically huge tits and <laughs> yeah not that that's necessarily a problem but it just looks so weird i was like what is this that these people are doing like you know yeah uh but this is a much better more you know i don't even know if i want to use the word mature but it, it, it's much better executed it's much more of a serious seriously well put together effort uh after playing this i'm definitely looking forward to the Xbox One game that's going to come out later this year. So, but that's pretty much what I kind of have foremost in my mind when it comes to the current rotation. Yeah, nice. I um, I, I got a. I just finished Type Zero, Final Fantasy Type Zero, and I have a couple of games in my uh, Xbox library that I haven't touched. Uh, whenever they do the the deals on gold, I. I try and scoop up the ones that make the most sense. Um, Child of Light, which came out last year, was free on gold last month. Right. And uh, I picked that up, and uh, I've always been interested in that. I loved um, I loved Ori in the Blind Forest, and I loved Bastion. And so I like the, the, like, artsy, indie, like, you know – like that type of like adventure game slightly smaller but yeah slightly smaller a little bit more old school but but like heavy focus on like art style and voiceover work like yeah so i i think uh i think i'll probably like um child of light uh so i might i might start that up but uh a couple of months ago watchdogs was was pretty cheap on games for gold so i might get that uh, I may, I mean, I might, I might start that up either way. They're all just sitting on my internal hard drive. I have digital versions of them all. So, um, I'm going to pick up one of those because I'm nearing the end of Pillars of Eternity and I'm going to need something else to play. But then again, there's, uh, I have this new gaming PC and I might pick something up off of Steam. Um, but Steam summer sales coming too. So oh keep your wallet ready. Oh my God. There's too many games there. That's, that's, um, that's going to be the title of this week's episode, Too Many Games. Too Many Games. Um, and on that note, uh, we are at the one-hour mark, believe it or not. We blew through that. Um, Sheesh. Yeah. So uh, we're going we're gonna to stop it here. Um, thanks for letting us talk about ourselves for once. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of fun. Um, we'll, see, we'll see you guys next week. Remember to, uh, remember to follow us on Twitter, at Frog Snacks, and email us at uh, – 
Proxnax Podcast at Yahoo. And um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. All right, later, folks.